0: Welcome to Coffee with Kupke, a production of St. Paul Inside the Walls. Here on Coffee with Kupke, we grab a cup of coffee, at least we're claiming this is coffee. We sit with Monsignor Kupke, Raymond Kupke, the pastor of St. Anthony's in Hawthorne, professor at Immaculate Conception Seminary, diocesan archivist. We sit with Monsignor Kupke to delve into the history of Catholicism in the Diocese of Patterson, my name is Father Paul Manning. I am the vicar for evangelization for the Diocese of Patterson. And here I am with Monsignor Kupke. So grab your cup of coffee and let's jump right in. I'm going to take a sip. So uh, our last episode ended with Dean McNulty in, you brought a shillelagh. in the bar. And so uh, we showed a picture on that episode, but I brought in an actual honest to goodness shillelagh, uh, just because I thought I should do it in honor of Dean McNulty.
1: He would be happy.
0: Yeah. So it's. I found out shillelaghs are made from the blackthorn uh, because the wood is sturdy and takes a polish, and the knob on the end is also a cudgel, if necessary, a club. Oh. So
1: but the Dean would use that to clear an entire bar of (laughs) glasses. He was very good at it.
0: Yeah. He must've been, he would have been a good baseball player. Yeah. So uh, we are moving into chapter five of your book, Monsignor Kupke, and it's called from every nation on earth dealing with the years, 1880 to 1920. And, We can't go into all the details because there are a lot of details. No. (laughs) Uh, But we're going to talk about the the various nationalities that uh, came to make up the Diocese of Patterson. Before we uh, go there, though, I wanted to just... uh, I'm going to do this in this episode, just kind of give you random details from the chapter and just have you comment on them instead of trying to talk about it all. So the first... uh, uh, um, detail that struck me was New Jersey and our diocese as a vacation destination.
1: Yeah. I mentioned this to Bishop Sweeney the other day because he had been up at St. Christopher's and we were talking about St. Christopher's and I said to him, you know, it's called that because his feast day is in July and originally they never thought that would be anything more than just a summer lake mission. And it's an offshoot of Notre Dame and Cedar Knolls, which also started as a summer vacation. Wow.
0: Yeah. And um, uh, you mentioned that Lake Lake Hopakong is a man-made lake. Yeah. and Most
1: of the New Jersey lakes are. Okay. Um, Greenwood Lake is not. That's natural. And I think Green Pond, I think, is natural. But most of the others are man-made.
0: And— Lake Hopatcong was made specifically to to feed the Morris Canal?
1: Yes, because it's midway on the canal, and it's at the highest point on the canal, so they could send water both east and west to keep the level of the canal steady from Lake Hopatcong.
0: As a result of the water, though, communities begin to develop around Lake Hopatcong as vacation right, spots. Right, right. And so who's coming to these vacation spots. city dwellers new york city people yes.
1: you and i every time we go and have dinner with martin mcdonald mcdonald yeah we passed that little old railroad station before oh, you in land, landing in landing yeah. that that's where they would go oh wow they would go from the city up there and then right past there was bertrand's island the great big amusement park yeah and that uh, came later right yeah for, for a dollar, a, a round trip, you could go up to the, the lake for the day. and
0: Yeah. You mentioned it was probably uh, maybe a four-hour round trip, right. four or five right. hours, but people would do
1: it. Yeah. So, yeah, Yeah. I guess the train ride would have been nice. Well, you know, sometimes on a busy day in the summer today, a trip to the shore is just as bad. Oh, that's true. Yeah,
0: yeah. And and uh, really, this is eighteen the late
1: 1800s, but suburbs are developing? Is this the development of suburbs? I don't think they used that term then, but certainly, like around Patterson, Hawthorne, Totowa, you know, they're beginning to spread out.
0: Be these regi- residential communities yeah, outside yeah. of the city. People
1: yeah. people are beginning to move up out of the city and spill over into the more healthful climates, you know. Yeah, okay. Um uh,
0: um, there you mentioned something called the Borough Act, which had a, 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 some kind of impact on parish
1: life. Well, the Borough Act is in the I think the 1890s or late 1880s, and basically, it changed the way that New Jersey approached education. Okay, up to that time, the counties ran education. And there were, you know, school districts by county. But the Borough Act made every municipality in New Jersey a separate school district. Hmm. So this encouraged the more built-up areas of the older townships because they had different interests than the rest of the township. Like You can imagine, you know, Rockaway Borough, for example, they wanted streetlights. They wanted sidewalks. And the people of Hibernia and, yeah, had and no Lake Telma had no yeah. desire for that at all. So they would break off and incorporate themselves as a separate borough. And
0: then have responsibility for the school. For the school, right. Huh, interesting. Yeah. Now, yeah. Uh, this is getting off track, but a lot of folks who are not New Jerseyans wonder about county versus township versus borough. Uh, And I'm not sure any of us really, really know where that comes from. Can you shed any light on that?
1: The townships are the original form of municipal government. Okay. So, for example, when Morris County was organized in 1739, there were five townships in the county. Okay. uh, Hanover, Bequanek, Morris, Mendham, and I'm missing one. Yeah. Uh, but the townships predate the counties. For them in some cases they do. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, but then mo- as you get toward the end of the 19th century, cities and towns in the middle of the 19th century began to emerge in the really urban areas
0: and separately incorporated
1: or something? separately incorporated, right. But uh, for example, Clifton started out as a Quackanuck township. And then ultimately became the city of Clifton in 1917. Uh, Do we still have Quackenock Township? No, it just disappeared. Okay. Uh, We have one by us, uh, Manchester Township, which was once hailed in North Hailden Prospect Park. And as each of them pulled away, the the township just disappeared from the map. Yeah. But there there are different rules governing how each of these different municipalities are governed you know for example the townships have a very rudimentary form of local government just a township committee and they elect a chairman mm. who serves pro forma as mayor but when you get to the more developed ones then you get you know districts wards aldermen and elected mayor yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. so it's, it's it's a different uh, way of approaching government but the Borough Act, you know, it, it encouraged, um it encourages areas of the older townships, both because of schools, but also because of other you know needs that they felt yeah, they wanted. Yeah, that, yeah. that so they towns couldn't. are
0: now identifying as towns. And, yeah. Yeah. It, exactly. Got it. Got
1: There's it. a a charming story not in our diocese, but in um, in Bergen County. You know, uh, if you. You, Bergen County is mostly boroughs and uh, they have every romantic name you can come up with, you know, like uh, Glen Rock and Hillsdale and, mm. but there's one story that, you know, one of them decided to name the town after whoever they elected as the first mayor and Dumont Clark won the election. And, oh, Dumont. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, that... that uh, clarify some things for me because i uh, you know i 've lived in other states where the county uh, seems to ha- take much more responsibility and wield uh, more power than the towns or townships. in our case, very often it 's the township that that is um, more Municipal- influential in the, the municipality yeah, yeah, yeah yes yeah. okay yeah. thanks for that yeah so Morristown Ah, is you you talk about uh, Morristown's beauty and importance uh, 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 around the year 1898 um, and 100-plus millionaires. So maybe say a bit about Morristown at this point.
1: Hello, this is Bishop Kevin Sweeney of the Diocese of Patterson, and I have a new podcast called Beyond the Beacon, One of the things I love about this podcast is that I get to interview Catholics of different ages and backgrounds and learn what inspires them to live a life of faith, hope, and love. Join me on Thursdays for Beyond the Beacon wherever you find your favorite podcasts or watch it on my YouTube channel. Click the link in the description to learn more. Thank you and God bless you. Morristown is at kind of the End of the train line coming out of New York City. Okay, so it was an easy commute, and people could build sizable homes—you know, mansions, really estates. You know, Morristown has always had a certain cachet in that respect. It's—it's um, it's always been a desirable place, but the train line made it really. Uh, Very desirable. Mm. So, you know, as you're, you're, you're located on Madison Avenue. As you look at Madison Avenue, there are still the remnants of some of these beautiful homes, including St. Paul inside walls. But certainly uh, the main building at Del Barton, uh, the main building at uh, Loyola House of Retreats. The main building at Villa Walsh Academy. Yes, you know these were all once mansions yeah. that individual people lived in, and the biggest is Fairleigh Dickinson.
0: Yes, so that's uh, um, FDU's um, right. administrative building now, right. and that um, was designed by Olmsted. Yes, who also designed, I found out, Central, Central Park. Park. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty amazing. It, it feels like it a little bit when you drive through there. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that, uh, some some uh, millionaires built thirty room cottages. Right? <laughs> so, yeah. I wonder yeah. if this would have been a cottage. Well, right? yeah, yeah. probably.
1: Yeah, yeah they probably they may have had a city, you know, pied de terre, you know, a, a twelve room something or other on Fifth Avenue, but out here they could uh,
0: spread out, spread out. Yeah.
1: Wow. Enjoy the country air.
0: So this chapter speaks about the immigrant impact on the church in our diocese. And I was, I was thinking um, we're going to hopefully talk a little bit about it, but I was thinking there's a lot of parallels with today
1: in 1910. Because immigration has not stopped.
0: Yeah. And in 1910, only 40% of the state population was native. That means both parents coming, having been born in this this country. That's a pretty amazing statistic.
1: Yeah. yeah. When I um, I surveyed the records of the cathedral and Saint Vincent. When I was writing the history that you're using, I uh, surveyed the records, the baptismal and funeral records, and marriage records for the cathedral and Saint Vincent's. I don't know how you had time to do all this. <laughs> <laughs> and for the for fifty for a hundred years before I was writing, so I was basically looking at like eighteen eighty seven, and in the cathedral um, for one year, you know, back then they used to list where the parents came from in the baptismal register. Yeah, and every county in Ireland except one was mentioned just in that one year alone. Huh. So, which,
0: do you remember which county was not?
1: I forget which one it is.
0: Yeah. One it's of the, not Roscommon, I'm sure.
1: I think it's one of the North Irish. You know, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Northeast? Yeah yeah. yeah. yeah, okay. In the pale. Yeah. So, um, you know, that alone gives you an idea of the size of the immigration.
0: Yeah. I was surprised that uh, Passaic, Passaic's grew, growth was due in large measure to woolen mills. Yes. Yeah, that surprised me.
1: Yeah, the Dundee Dam, you know, that little dam there along um, Route 20. Yeah. You know, that provided water power. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a point um, in the mid-20th century where Passaic had the highest proportion of foreign-born residents of any city in the United States, over 50,000 people.
0: Hmm. So... A lot, a lot of this immigration, people were coming to work in the woolen mills. Yes. Right. In the and, woolen
1: mills of the sake, the silk mills in Patterson. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which produced some interesting immigration. For example, um, the oldest parish in Clifton of the eight parishes in the city is Sacred Heart, the Italian parish. Okay. And formed originally to serve northern italians as opposed to all the other italian parishes in new jersey um, they formed northern italians who were coming over as skilled workers in the in the in the wool mills yeah.
0: yeah when we get when we get to the italians we're going to talk about the difference between northern and southern italians in in this country um the nas- so i'm assuming this is the rise of national parishes Yes. Is that an American phenomenon? Mostly, yes. Yeah, so maybe say a little bit about national parishes.
1: The American bishops did not want to do this. Um, they were pretty much opposed to this.
0: Well, the Americanists, the Americanists, right, were opposed yes. to this? Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> okay. um, because rightfully, you know, ultimately in, in the long-term perspective, they figured that this was going to be a, a uh, unnecessary multiplication of buildings in a small area. Interesting, you know, because and, that's the um, way it pans yeah, out. Yeah. Which we are seeing now. You know, yeah. I mean, we in the Patterson Diocese are lucky because our two principal cities, Patterson and Passaic, uh, thanks to Latino immigration, have remained heavily Catholic. But yeah. Uh, there are other cities in the state, like like Camden or Trenton, where they have enormous church buildings within blocks of each other that yes. are all empty, you know, because the ethnic group has moved on.
0: So uh, some American bishops are not crazy about this, and I think we mentioned last time that they were afraid it would ghettoize the the, yes. the, the ethnic populations, right. but
1: and also. Um, A little uh, jingoism here. They were afraid that it would retard the immigrants from learning English Mm. as quickly as possible. Yeah.
0: But there's a a counter-movement that says we should do this?
1: Yes, that that the American bishops are lazy and and are... (laughs) um not living up to their responsibility because they're not taking care of the pastoral needs of the new groups coming in okay um, and it's interesting because this is an error we're not talking about liturgy here. Liturgy was all in Latin it didn't matter where you went. oh yeah yeah you know, you're really talking about preaching mm-hmm. and pastoral Care, you know, confession, yeah, yeah. Of the sacraments, yeah, and and uh, and devotionalism.
0: Okay, interesting. You know, uh, which yeah. was
1: a big deal for some yeah. of these immigrant groups. Popular devotions, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So uh, eventually, we're going to look at each of these nationalities for a few moments, uh, independently uh, of one another. But I wanted to ask about Bishop Wigger, uh, who Bishop Wigger. is the successor of whom? Who? Who? Wigger
1: succeeded Archbishop Corrigan. So in 1880, Corrigan, the second bishop of Newark, was made the coadjutor Archbishop of New York. Okay, wow. And in the wake of his departure, the Newark Diocese is divided. This is where the Trenton Diocese comes in. And uh, the southern 14 counties of the state become the Trenton Diocese, and the northern seven remain the Newark Diocese. So Wigger, who is a native of Newark, is appointed the third bishop of Newark. Had probably the most contentious Episcopal career (laughs) (laughs) of any bishop in New Jersey ever. So he was German? German background but American right. born which right. was more than many of his opponents could say. Yeah. And he studied in Europe apparently? <laughs> yes. Yeah, he was uh he was studied in Genoa at uh, a seminary that uh, I I don't even know what it still exists the Brignole seminary but at that time it was a common place to send American students.
0: Okay. A uh, kind of like uh, Louvain the North American. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, cool. The North American is Roman Rome
1: Corrigan, his predecessor, was one of the original class at the North American College. Okay. And the first NAC alumnus to be ordained a bishop. Oh,
0: interesting. So you're going to be surprised, I'm sure, to find out that uh, Father Wigger, before he was bishop, had a stint at St. Vincent's in Madison, right? Two.
1: Two stints. Two stints. He was at Madison, and they prevailed upon him to take Saint John's in Orange. Okay, which was a disaster because because the economy of Orange had collapsed. They had built this great big beautiful uh, edifice, neo gothic uh, brownstone yeah. church. It's still still there, beautiful building. And um, then the hatting industry. In the oranges collapsed as soon as they built it. And the pastor had signed on to what they call a revolving debt, which oh. increased every year that you didn't pay on it. Oh. So this was a financial disaster. It's the only time in New Jersey that they actually took up a collection. In every church in the state, trying to save this one place from financial from, from a share sale, and it
0: did, <clears throat> did it work?
1: It did, but yeah. so they sent Wigger down to St. John's as Orange, and it was it was so overwhelming that after a year, he asked out and went back to Madison again.
0: And uh, at some point, I think he calls himself a country pastor. Right? right? That's yeah. not
1: what. The people who were opposed to him called him, though. They said he was a failure (laughs) (laughs) and couldn't stand the heat of the day. And, you know, an ivory tower academic. They they, they had every kind of... um, And Wigger was linguistically somewhat uh, astute. So he could preach in English, German, Italian, and Dutch.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: But the people opposed to him hated it when he did that, you know, yeah. they felt he was... Because they were
0: Americanists. Right. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah.
1: So... Um, Wigger we suspended more priests in his 20 years as Bishop of Newark than all of his predecessors combined. Wow.
0: Well, in our next episode, we're going to speak briefly about the way Wigger became Bishop, because that's an interesting story. And then we're going to start looking at um, the waves of immigration from different nations. So we'll leave it here for a moment. All right. Let's leave it there. I want all of you who are listening or watching to make sure that you keep an eye out or an ear out for the next episode of Coffee with Kupke. In order to stay on top of new releases, make sure you follow or subscribe wherever you're listening. And if you are on YouTube, please do drop a like and hit the bell. For notifications while you're at it, make sure to check out the other shows produced by the diocese. Those shows are beyond the beacon hosted by Bishop Kevin Sweeney and Jay Agnish, our director of communications and the Paul street journal hosted by Brian Hansberger and Freddie Garcia. I want to give a special thanks to Joe Genexi, our sound and visual engineer Caitlin Ferrari, who's involved in pre and post production, and Freddie Garcia, who's helping out with this podcast in addition to doing his own. With all that said, I just want to thank you for joining us in uh, Coffee with Kupke. Keep making Catholic history in the Diocese of Patterson.